Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker. This is episode 130, and this is going to be a fun show. Camden Proud going to join us in a bit. We're going to catch up on Evans Mills and Lancaster and go in depth. We'll run down the finishing orders, talk about the racing weekends that were over the last couple of weeks. Um, just so super stoked at how things went at Evans Mills, it seems. And, and hopefully Cam won't dispel any of that when, because uh, everything I've heard has been enormously positive And I just am so excited to, you know, to see more super modified shows up there. I just, you know, I, I, I think it's great. And I, I love the idea that maybe we could get some ISBA shows, um, close to home again to where the Oswego guys would feel, you know what? Okay. I need to go support that. Cause I think there's something to adding some more races to the schedule for all three of these divisions so that it makes it more of a sort of palatable worthwhile investment to actually buy a, a car. You know, there's not only eight or nine races, you know, if you can get to, you know, 12 to 15 a year, you'd be doing great. So, uh, just some food for thought on that, but, uh, looking forward to hearing what Cam has to say. And of course, uh, he'll talk good about Lancaster cause he raced there in one heat. So, <laughs> um, we know what he's going to say and he finished, uh, darn near won the feature. So, um, yeah, a good run there. <laughs> so we'll, we'll catch up with Cam about that. I want to start. I, you know, again, this opening segment is, is, always fun because sometimes I don't know what I'm going to do when I start it. Sometimes I have two or three topics in my head and I just sort of go with one and that's what you get. In this case, I've been on this kick lately where I, I've got, of course, I got my, I have my old programs arranged by year. Um, but I have them sort of arranged in such a manner is that I, you know, obviously there's, there's, I can't see, like I know these are 75, these are 76, these are, so I just have, I've gotten on this kick over the last uh, couple of weeks or so since I've been home from the classic um, of just pulling out, you know, random programs, you know, I'll read a 75, then a 78, then a, you know, whatever, right? It's just sort of hit or miss. I'll just go to the, go to the, the shelf and, and pull something out and that's, and just read through it. I like to read while I'm eating. So, um, you know, sit out on the deck or, you know, um, at the table and just, just read through it. So I happened to pull out the 1976 classic book and there was an article in that book. It was called four wheel drive, the exotic controversy. John Hill wrote it. Those of you are, who are longtime race fans remember John Hill. He was a he was a cornerman in Oswego for quite a while, and, and he and he became a writer, or maybe he was writing and cornering. I'm not sure, but um, 
John was John was a good writer. He he was um I think he was and and there may have been some overlap between his articles and Dick O'Brien's, but I think John, pretty sure I remember he wrote for the Post Standard or the Herald Journal, which I think became um I don't I think they were owned by the same company, right? Wasn't one a morning and one an evening or something? I don't I don't remember. But I I I so I think he was um he wrote for one of those. I think it was the Post Standard and uh Syracuse based paper and 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 so um we also wrote for the program for a number of years. And this particular article was published in the 76 classic book. And, and if, if again, those of you who are longtime Rays fans will remember that, um, you know, it was a big deal when Freddie brought out the four wheel drive hike car. Now we had had four wheel drive cars there for years, several years leading up to that. Um, Tony Lavati, I think had some, um, you know, there were a number of them. But this particular one that Height built for Freddie Graves, they got it to work good. And Freddie won some races with it, but it was it was sort of um you know, I, I, I think the reputation was that it wasn't very durable. You know, it was there were you know extra things on it or whatever to accommodate the four wheel drive uh and you know, it, it broke in the 75 classic early and then it broke again in the 76 classic and it, and it, it, but, um, but it was, it was a, it was a good car. And, um, I thought I, I read this, this article and again, I don't, I probably read it a few times, but just for whatever reason, this time when I read it, it felt like I really sort of learned something new. Um, so I thought I would I would read it on the air here on the show because I think there's some some interesting discussion and and I think for those fans who maybe weren't you know are too young to remember or weren't going in that era but they know about all of the four-wheel drive stuff this may be you know you may get some knowledge out of this and it and it's really a fascinating article that john wrote there's a picture of freddie graves and bill height then at the bottom of the article there's a picture of freddie um racing on the inside of eddie bellinger jr so again this is from the 76 classic book the article's titled four-wheel drive the exotic controversy here's what it said in the world of auto racing the four-wheel drive race car is about as rare as a unicorn and unlawful as a thief among thieves in some ways it's a strange looking contraption with its engine turned backwards and offset in the car its axles and drive lines extending every which way in the major leagues of motorsports it's like the ugly duckling still looking for its mother given the boot from one family and finding closed doors to another USAC National Championship Indi- Indianapolis car racing flatly outlawed four-wheel drive a few years ago, and since no American passenger car used its concept, NASCAR Grand National Racing won't even hear of it. 
In the colorful and glamorous world of the Grand Prix, the super lightness of the Formula One racer is burdened by the extra weight of drive parts. A few years ago, four-wheel drive had a home in the super costly and wide-open Canadian-American Challenge Cup road racing series, but now that is out of business. Today, for the much-damned and little-loved four-wheel drive race car, there's only one racing platform on which it can stand. The unlimited run what you brung. Remember that phrase from the letter a few a few weeks ago I read from 73? Where the the Caruso family, where, where it was it was declared that supers were a run what you brung class? Um, so I'll start this sentence again today for the much damned and little loved four wheel drive race car. There is only one racing platform on which it can stand the unlimited run, what you brung super modifieds. And that platform at best is also shaky. It's detractors wanted outlawed from super modified racing because they claim it's too costly to build too time consuming and expensive to maintain. But the advocates for the system not only for four-wheel drive, but for maintaining the concept of supermodifieds, which is open competition, want to see it continue. In order to be able to technically advance the class of future ideas, not stagnate it with one changeless design of car. Which is what we have now, basically. That four-wheel drive race cars are superior to two-wheelers or roadsters is the same as saying that four-wheel drive trucks go in snow better than two-wheelers. Freddie Graves of Central Square a personable, easygoing salesman drives the most successful of the handful of cat-clawing four-wheelers, cat-clawing four-wheelers here at Oswego. There is a reason. In Oswego, it is legal, and the bucks paid to run it are the best in the nation. Graves says, I can get into a corner all out of shape and just punch the throttle and drive it out of the bad situation. And on a wet or slippery track, the safety factor is even more so than a roadster. Last year, Graves put the 39 four-wheeler on the pole with an 18.1 second clocking. That's not accurate. It was 18247 in 1975, but close enough. And felt that with another lap could have gotten into the 17 second never, never land here. Now that's the first part where my, I, I perked up. When I read this, think about 1976. If that car would have done a 17-second lap in classic time trials in 1975, which is when he ran the 18228, and and again, this is in the 76 classic book, so that classic, he broke his own record. He went 18247 in 75, 18228 in 76. But he, he, for him to say that if he had one more lap, he could have gotten into the 17 second bracket. Wow. Because remember, the first official 17 second lap wasn't until 1977, I think. Jimmy did it. I think it was what, 17928 or something. Um, but he was the first to officially do it with the eye, electric eye. This is long before we had transponders. Um, so that was that, that kind of blew my mind. Like, Oh boy. So Graves four wheeler is that I continue with the article. Graves four wheeler is the creation of multi-talented Southerner named William Bill height of Jackson, Alabama. 
His credentials of a design and research and development engineer for Vanity Fair Corporation making knitting machines for the garment industry blend together to foster this, as well as other super quick cars. He is also working on the design, and this was the second thing that blew my mind. Listen to this. He is also, this is 1976, ladies and gentlemen. He is also working on the design of an electric car for street use. In 1976, let that sink in for a minute. I'll continue. This is Bill Height now. Quote, it won't do any good to outlaw four-wheel drive, he explains, because I don't feel you can test on 10 years of progress in supermodifieds and expect to maintain and continue interest in the class if you do. Four-wheel drive is not as expensive as many think, he continues. Right now, tires are the most expensive part of weekly racing. (laughs) They still are. But we won one feature race this year with rubber that one car owner discarded as unsuitable for his use. Where roadster drivers must put on new tires for every feature, we can use ours more than once because power is spread out over four wheels. Our tire costs are half that of a two-wheel drives. That's interesting. I continue, and so does height. As many know, some roadsters at Oswego have $20,000 or more in their cars. Again, folks, this is 1976, okay? Height says, ours doesn't. We use some junkyard parts at ours, and a roadster doesn't. We're on a tight budget with the car. We spend $1 for every two or three that they do. And there's nothing trick in our engine. It's just standard parts. Both Height and Graves report that the car has had no problems this season with its four-wheel driveline system. The only problems we've had are with the clutch and with the motor. Graves says the number 39's design is just smart, simple thinking to about half of the car owners and fearful to others. The 460 cubic inch alcohol injected Chevy engine is mounted backwards and on the left side of the car, giving it desired left side weight and reverse engine torque, a disadvantage in standard roasters to roll the chassis chassis to the left under power. The engine placement also allows for the gear transfer case to be fitted to the back center chassis of the engine with the front and rear drive lines to pass cleanly to the two differentials. Many think, Graves says, this car is hard to maintain by the average mechanic, but I'm average and I don't have any trouble. Height adds to this. That's why I left the car with Fred. He knows the basics of the car and that's all that's required. In fact, we can take the engine out in 35 minutes, half the time of a roadster. USAC, who banned four-wheel drive because of its added expense, asked what is to be gained by adding the extra parts of the car other than more expense. But height counters that theirs is a different situation, that four-wheel drive is better suited to short track racing like a Swigo, and it's safer considering the caliber of driving talent. Velmaletic 
of the famed Vels Pirelli Jones team that pioneered four-wheel drive at Indy says he'd rather see them back than see the wings the cars use now. Now listen to his next statement about that fact. He Again, I'm going to read the setup here. He says he'd rather see them back than see the wings the cars use now. He's referring, of course, to Indy cars, the, the, you know, the wings that they were running even back in the 70s. Listen to this, this statement. He says, these cars are like airplanes now to get traction, but four-wheel drive is more akin to the automobile. Now, that's a really, there, there's, there's a lot... <laughs> And I'm not an engineer. If if I had somebody on the show that was an engineer, there's a lot to unpack in that that statement, right? Um, but it makes perfect sense, does it not? If you put wings on a car, it's an airplane. If you use four wheel drive, well, it's <laughs> that's akin to the automobile. That makes perfect sense. And this is why you need all the downforce with the wings and you get to the point where we have what we have now, which is you stick them so good to the track because you get so doggone much downforce to keep them from, you know, taking off like rocket ships that you, you, you now can't, there's, there's no way to, there's the passing goes away. Um, I'll continue. What is the future of this ugly duckling in Oswego super modifieds? The decision to ban or not will come next month when the track firms its plans for 1977. No one seems to know or will commit themselves to what it will be, but the International Supermodified Association of Drivers and Owners are not in favor of four-wheel drive. Some well-known drivers here who want it banned have also asked Height to let them drive the car or build them one. I'm going to read that again. Because this is sort of the definition of a race car driver, right? Some well-known drivers here who want it banned have also asked Height to let them drive the car or build them one. And here's what Height says. I'd be tickled to give the plans to others to build them. I simply can't build more than two at a time. I haven't got time or room where I am. But, he says, I think it's unfair to ask someone to build a car that might be outlawed in a year. It just doesn't make any sense. So now I'm building a two-wheel drive car for Fred for next year. If they don't ban the four-wheelers, Fred may buy the 39 for a backup car. If they do, I'll sell it to someone in Reno, Nevada for well under 10 grand. I can do that because I haven't got that much in it. All either will say of the new design is that it is radical, will be very fast and surprise many. Now they're talking about the car that came out in 77. I'll read that one more time. All either will say of the new design, not the four-wheel drive, but the two-wheel drive that they're building, they were building for 77, is that it is radical, will be very fast, and surprise many. For Height is a brilliant innovator of fast race cars known around the nation. With his past superior designs, the supermodified fraternity can be assured that Bill's new creation will be just another exciting, perhaps another controversial design, but as he says... Isn't that the name of the open competition game that makes it different? That's the end of the article. Now, 
First of all, let's talk about the car that came out in 77. It was a cool looking car, but it never went anywhere except into the wall. The first time Freddie drove it, he, he ended up going to the hospital. Interesting to make a statement like that. And then it comes out and it basically didn't, it, it, it laid an egg. It just didn't run well at all. Um, but when we look at the four wheel drive thing, it's, it's just intriguing. And I feel like to a degree, you know, this is what you, you see this all the time when it, it, I feel like in politics, you know, it, there's nothing is so much of, of, of issues are, are like way overblown, right? Like you, they, cause they have an agenda for doing that. You know, it, they make something way scarier, way bigger, way, you know, whatever that it, that it actually is. And if you read this article and you read the quotes by Graves and Height, now, you know, some could say, well, of course they're going to say all that, that it's easy to maintain and it's, you know, not very costly and whatever. Um, but you know, they're just because they, they like it and they want to dominate or whatever. Well, height was saying, look, I'll give you the plans. And so it's interesting to me do I think it should have been banned? Well, I, I don't know. I just know that every time they banned something, it became a little less run what you brung. It became run what you brung, except, or run what you brung, but. And then finally, we got to a point where we are now, which is basically all the cars are pretty much the same. Um, so I don't really know what to make of that. And I would love to hear from some of the, the folks who are, you know, engineers who could really not just say why it should or shouldn't have been banned, but really kind of get into the nuts and bolts of it. Um, because for somebody to say, well, you know, could just anybody have one and maintain it properly? Well, I don't really know. Um, when it came to the rear engine car that Jimmy Champagne had, the answer would be yes. There was nothing about that car that was overtly more expensive or whatever than any other car. Jimmy built it purposefully According to Jimmy, Jimmy built it to create more cars for competition. He wanted to build a simple rear engine that could work well and be competitive so that it, it kind of afforded somebody, if they wanted a front engine, great. They want a rear engine, great. So, you know, what happened? He went out and, the, and, and we all know, we've talked about it many times. They banned the car and then Jimmy came back in 1980 at the Classic and blew him into the weeds. He basically, he let every lap and he wasn't really, you know, then he went to star speedway and let every lap there with the, with the same front engine offset that everybody else had. So, so that car, 
even I would I would suggest that that car was simple enough in design that anybody could have had one and maintained it. Did you need to suddenly go build a rear engine to keep up with Jimmy's? I don't think so. I don't think it had proven itself nearly enough yet, except for that one classic race with Conium, and it didn't even finish the race. <laughs> you know? So, um, I don't really know about the four wheel drive thing. Cause I, I feel like there's just some, some engineering there that, that that's, I just don't know too much about all the transmission and, and all of that. And, but, um, he, unless you believe that Bill height was lying, then you, then you accept the fact that he actually didn't have that much money in the car. And, um, you know, and, and it's like, well, okay, so would you have eventually had to have a four wheel drive to compete? Well, I don't know, maybe, but, uh, you know, I, I just, it's just interesting to me. And again, I, I'm not trying to, to, you know, be controversial or anything. I I'm just, I thought the article was very interesting. And the fact that Freddie said in there that, or at least John says, Freddie said he could have, he thought he could have broken into the 17 second bracket that's that's incredible because nobody had been able to make the four-wheel drive concept work anywhere near to that level at Oswego until that car. And there were some who said that Freddie never even, because Freddie was, I don't think Freddie was a really super aggressive kind of driver. You know, I don't think he was a, a spin the tires off the car kind of driver like a Bobby Stelter saying and 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 I'm not saying Bobby was not a great driver just saying that you know I think Freddie was more of a meticulous cautious driver and I think his whole personality was basically you know he was a thinking man's racer um so you do have to wonder you know what if a Jimmy Champagne had built a four-wheel drive and I know there was a point where there was at least some discussion because I saw that in a program somewhere. Um, if Jimmy had ever desired or gone through and built, because him and Bill Height were, I'll say friends, um, man. And I think at one point there was actually some discussion about Jimmy and Bill and Indianapolis. Can you even... <laughs> Can you even, if those two had gotten together again, back in the day when you could still innovate at Indy and those two guys had come up with some sort of, I mean, if that, whoo, man, you know, so it was interesting because if you look at a lot of the cars that height built, they were very sort of simple, crude little cars. There wasn't a lot of, um, you know, it, 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 they, they just were, were as, as simple a design as you could get. And some of them really just, but you know, you had the car that, uh, Warren Conium drove as the number 54 in 1979 was a bill pork car. That's who owned it. <coughs> Excuse me, but it was a bill height car. Now, Freddie Graves, I think had one of those that that was in that year i think there was a car built for freddie that freddie ran one or two times with a wing but he never brought it to a swiggle and um 
So it's just interesting. I thought that article was very insightful and it really gives you some sort of food for thought, you know, because like I said, I think sometimes we, sometimes people just, you know, you, you, you all, you, and I understand the mentality that they were trying to sort of protect the field. Like, do we want everybody to have to go build a four wheel drive to, to be successful? Well, you know, eventually you got to the point where everybody had to have what we have now to be successful. Cause you, you know, it, um, and it, and you almost had to, to have the latest because Joey Hawksby kept one upping himself, <laughs> you know, and even Paulie with, you know, he had a couple of evolutions of the, um, of, of his chassis. What do they call extreme? I think, right. The extreme chassis, he had several sort of evolutions and grams were the, you know, it started with Stoll, but then Graham's were where Paulie really made his mark was with the Graham team. And, um, and again, there were a number of sort of evolutions of that. And Joey had, had several and, um, you know, and, and you got, it got to a point where it wasn't one size. You couldn't just have a, an aero car, like the first or second generation Hawk car wouldn't be competitive today. Like there's, you know, he just, again, he, you know, you, you learn and develop. And so, um, I, you know, I mean, you may, you may be halfway competitive, but if you really want to, you know, which is why, you know, again, even with the, with the Schulich car, for example, that I think the car that, that Dave is driving now, that was the first car built specifically for the tail wing, right? So again, we kind of got to that point where we backed ourselves into that corner to begin with, but I guess, you know, maybe the theory is, well, it's good we didn't do it 40 or 50 years earlier. I just, um, I think the innovation is what made the super modifieds great. And, and now um, there isn't much, you know, you're playing in a tiny little box. So I just, I, I thought that article was fascinating and, it's just, um, again, to look back at history and, and really kind of do a, a study of, you know, what, you know, what was going on and, and look at that and, and listen to Fred and, and, um, and Bill, you know, listen to their conversation about it. Um, I thought it was a well-written article by John Hill. Um, and, oh, by the way, here's something else that I could just, while we're having a discussion here, I think I mentioned um, when I maybe did the 73 classic book or whatever, was talking about prices of, of food at the Speedway restaurant back in those days. So the in 1976, and this is classic weekend, we're talking about the um, classic menu. Listen to these prices. Now, again, you know, everything was less. Everything was, was less money in 76, right? You know, cars were six or seven grand and, you know, salaries obviously were way less. Like, it, so it's relative, but it's just funny to look look at these prices and just think about it in comparison to today. Um, the, the breakfast menu... Um, the most expensive meal on the breakfast menu is a dollar ninety-five. Two eggs, any style, toast, ham, and coffee, pancakes, ham, and coffee, or French toast, ham, and coffee, dollar ninety-five. 
toast and coffee if that's all you wanted 55 cents <laughs> um appetizers your choice onion rings french fries cottage cheese or salad 60 cents each antipasto salad a dollar 30 <laughs> for the big spenders I don't even know. I, I don't even know if I know what antipasto salad is. I've heard of it, but it was a dollar thirty compared to sixty cents for regular salad. I'll take the regular salad, thank you. Throw me some lettuce and cucumbers, maybe some bacon bits, and you know a little bit of diced ham. I'm good. I'll put some salt on it and and enjoy it. Um, I don't know who Mike was, but Mike had a special. Here's Mike's special. Prime roast beef sandwich sliced thin and piled high on a fresh baked roll, a buck seventy-five. Sandwiches, grilled cheese, eighty-five cents. Corned beef, a buck seventy-five. Ham sandwich on rye, a buck fifty-five. Ham, ham sandwich with cheese, ten cents more. Oh boy, hamburger, a buck forty. Cheeseburger, a buck fifty. Open steak sandwich with onion rings, three fifty. Fish sandwich. Hey, hey, Sean. Next classic. Maybe you should fish sandwich. Fresh haddock delivered weekly from Baston, a buck thirty-five. If you had fries and coleslaw, a buck seventy-five. Can we get some like throwback prices? Next classic. <laughs> Come on, Sean. <laughs> Um, what else we got? Porterhouse steak, most expensive dinner on the menu, six ninety five. Isn't that something? Just I mean, when you think about the prices of stuff today, it it's just crazy. Um, so you know, hope you enjoyed that. That I just again, it's fun to sort of look back and study history, and you know, obviously you can't go back. And whether you think it was a good decision or bad decision, everybody has their own opinion. And I respect that. Um, And, and, you know, all our opinions are worth about the same, right? (laughs) But, um, but it is fun. It's just fun to go back and look at that. And I just thought that article was both interesting and a couple of those, those little factoids in there, you know, Freddie saying he could dip into the 17 second barrier. Wow. You want to watch a bunch of people in the tower panic. If that had happened, they probably would have tried to ban the car before Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know put it put a different gear in it um you know it's um that's crazy it's crazy to think about jimmy did it a year later but you know um like i said just uh actually it was two years later because freddie was saying that about his time trial in 75 so what his theory was is 18247 was his fast lap he was saying give me one more lap i would have been in the 17 second barrier holy moly that would have shaken some things up he might never have gotten to 1976 with that car if that had happened (laughs) oh goodness gracious um again fun to look back okay so camden proud going to be joining us as i said uh here in just a minute and then what's in the number we're going to talk about the number 30 so uh stick around we're just getting started here on the groove be right back
Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here in Inside Groove, Indy Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision and your budget into a workable, high performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services End-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. Welcome back to The Groove, and it is time for Camden Proud to join us once again. And, uh, man, I kind of count these blessings, Cam, because I know pretty soon you're going to be shuffling back off to uh, Norway for a while. So don't know how many of uh, these opportunities we'll have for the off season. So definitely glad to have another chance to talk to you. And um, I want to focus on Evans Mills. And congratulations, by the way, got yourself a heat win and had a nice run there uh, in the 54 SBS car. I didn't know you were even going to race the car there. Talk about uh, talk about your weekend and then I guess we can dive into the uh, the racing. Yeah, it was kind of unexpected to drive the car. Obviously, the SBS has kind of been my dad's thing. And yeah, he went up and got in the car at Evans Mills and wasn't feeling so hot afterwards. I think being in the car aggravated the herniated disc he has a bit more than than we expected. So they're going to have to operate on it this off season for him to continue racing. Uh, we ended up putting Rich Petruco in the car at Evans Mills, and yeah, he did nice a phenomenal run. job. Yeah, yeah, great job from yeah. tenth to fourth. And I was kind of on the fence what we were going to do for Lancaster after Rich did so well. I kind of wanted to give him a shot again, but I guess selfish me, I didn't want my race season to end on a bad note with the <laughs> classic there with our bad left front tire and i said i think i'm going to suit up myself and ended up having a blast at lancaster that was a lot of fun yeah i think i said evans mills at the top of the segment is lancaster um and that's uh that was really uh i do want to talk about evans mills because um you know i don't think that uh I, I think that Lancaster basically for, for the now did the three fifties run at Lancaster? Was it just the SBS? Uh three fifty smack went to Lancaster That's earlier this thought. year, but yep, it's just the SBS this past week. Okay, so there was no three fifties, yeah. So I mean it's just we we uh we need to probably cover both because um, you know, I I talked a little bit about uh Evans Mills as a whole and you know the two winners and such and um some great racing there um and then we will get back to Lancaster here but Evans Mills was um I thought really I I wish I had gotten to actually see it I wish that was it, it had been on flow because from what I heard the racing was phenomenal and I can't really it's almost like I can't believe that we just got around to racing big box supers there for the first time, as long as that track has been there. And, um, I mean, I worked there back in the late nineties. I don't even remember like 96 or 98 or somewhere in there for a year and just enjoyed the heck out of it. What was, what were, 
What, what were your impressions of the big block supers racing there? What was that like? Because I heard the feature was fantastic. It really was. And honestly, leading up to this race, I know it just wasn't really talked about before until the star classic stopped, but I never understood all the hoopla behind Evans mills was too small for big blocks. I mean, it's the same size. Did somebody as star. say that? Wow. Yeah. If you can run a star, you can run that. anywhere. <laughs> And I just, I didn't understand that at all. Uh, and it, it was great. People were questioning, can you pass at Evans Mills? The answer is yes, for sure. Uh, there was some great side-by-side battles uh, throughout the full duration of those 125 laps. It was it was a phenomenal race. Uh, Jeff Abel put on a show. Watching him come up through the field and run side-by-side with Mike Wardway Jr., Brandon Bellinger, uh, the battle for the lead with McVetta and lap traffic at the end there was just tremendous and really a great impression I think was left for the North country fans and also the traveling fans that came to check out Evans mills for the first time, beautiful facility, very well kept. The owners couldn't be any more hands-on than they are. And the improvements that they've put into that place are just absolutely outstanding, phenomenal uh, in these past few years. So I think that it was a perfect fit and I really hope that it continues moving forward. I'm sure it will. I think it was just a great success on all levels, both on and off the track. See, I, I think, um, and again, I haven't been up there in, in a number of years, but um, I thought just thinking about when, when it got announced that that, was, that show was going to happen, my first thought was, I know the fans are going to pack the place because they just don't, you know, they don't get a lot of big shows up there. This this would be like, you know, an IndyCar race to them. And so um, I knew the crowd was going to be good. And my first thought was that this is going to be one of the most entertaining ISMA races in a long time just because of the size of the track. And I thought that there would be two grooves. Um, but of course, again, it had been 25 years or so since I'd been there. Um, and now that we know that it is, I guess my, my question for you is as a driver, um, you know, we used to see a lot of, uh, double header weekends where you'd run, you know, a Swiggo on Saturday and maybe Fulton on Sunday, you'd run, you know, somewhere on Friday, like Spencer and then a Swiggo on Saturday. Um, would you be in favor of doing some, not say a lot, but some of those double headers, um, you know, is there still an appetite for that sort of thing to maybe run, you know, two races in a weekend? And would that, would, would that entice maybe some people to run who normally wouldn't necessarily just come to a Swigo and run because now they've got two shows for for their time to travel and time to be there is there any in your opinion is there any viability because i think evans mills is the perfect companion show to oswego until they decide to rip the dirt back off fulton and go back to pavement which will never happen (laughs) (laughs) well i think if they could manage the correct purse to get the guys from out of town and also from oswego to go up and start the race and uh, maybe do it on a Friday. I was talking to Nick Zero from Evans Mills, and uh, actually we were discussing it quite a bit, and uh, Friday nights right now is Can-Am Speedway night, and that's right up the road from Evans Mills, so okay. they can't really go to Fridays. And Sundays, I don't know if they've given that any thought. I know there has been talk of preseason Oswego wing races there, 
And oh, yes. I would be I'd be all for that for sure. Um, but I also like your idea of a double header and it kind of gives your Mike McVetta's or Mike Lordways and people like that the incentive to come out and hit two tailwind races and it just you, you need a you need a, probably a promoter to pull that off and do a sort of unsanctioned Oswego tailwind race at Evans Mills um, to help pay the purse and the start money and um, get your teams there, uh, get the support that we need to to pull that off. But uh, I would be absolutely all for it. I know if they if this race a couple of weeks ago was a tailwind race, we would have been there no problem and really wanted to be with the top lane. Uh, frankly, embarrassed that we weren't and hate to be one of those people that live an hour from the track and weren't there. But when I tell you we made every effort to be there with the Wayne, that's the absolute truth. And uh, we're going to leave no stone unturned. I'm going to make a, a promise to all the super modified fans that the 54 is going to seriously be hitting some Wayne shows next year. We're going to, we're going to make this right. Cause I want to support all the people that make shows like that possible. Well, I mean, I think it's an interesting concept. Now, could, could we not do the tail wing, top wing doubleheader? Is that, I mean, that's what we used to do years ago. Um, is that really that impractical now to convert your car over from a top, uh, sorry, a tail wing to a top wing? That is so hard to say. For us right now, the only reason it's impractical is because we haven't done it yet. Um, well, I'm just saying in general, work. like, could we do, could we, could we run a Swiggo on Saturday night and then put the, the top right. wing on and go to Evans Mills on Sunday. Is that practical? I think it is. Once you make the changes you need to make to your car, I think okay. once you've done it once and you've figured out how you're going to mount your wing, your wing shocks, everything that you need, your hoses, your mounts, um, and have that figured out to a T, it might only take an hour or two to change the car completely over okay. from the tail wing to the top wing, which isn't a big deal. Uh, it's just getting teams like ourselves to convert our cars over to make them so they're ready to be able to do that. Like we have to make some serious changes to the right rear of our car where our shock is. Uh, we have to completely cut off the left rear shock mount potentially and, and make some serious changes in order to do a mount to the axle. And then if you get a mount to a cage, that's also going to require some other changes because we have a tipped cage and it is a lot ah. more involved than people realize initially but once you do it and you have the parts and pieces that you need and you're committed to that, then I really don't see why it isn't possible to do something like years ago, people would run Lee on Friday, drive yeah. all the way back to a Swiggo overnight, switch it over, run a Swiggo Saturday. Um, that can still be done as long as you have the parts and pieces you need. And uh, that's what we're working on right now. Okay. So, yeah, that's all I was trying to figure out is, is there any reason why in today's you know, with today's cars or whatever, that that wouldn't be practical to do. Um, because again, it just opens up another option. I feel like that ISMA is kind of in, in a bit of a, um, transitory phase a little bit. And, and, uh, you know, we've, we've got the other series in new England and, um, it feels to me like this would be the opportunity for, isma slash mss of course you've got some established shows in ohio and then you got you always got jennerstown but if you could um if you could open up say lancaster evans mills 
you know, uh, maybe a Shemung or, you know, uh, uh, you know, even a Spencer, which I know still is running occasional shows. I don't know. I don't think they're weekly now, but um, but you you come up with with a schedule that would, you know, maybe it's even a reduced number of races total. But you, you know, eight to ten, maybe or whatever it, it's got to be. But um, Evans Mills is a place that I feel like is just great for for racing. And, you know, everything that we've seen go up there and run puts on great shows. So if they're willing and if the opportunity is there, to me, a double header, a well-placed would make some sense because again, you get the cars to travel, but you're giving them two races, sort of what they're, what they're doing with the Michigan swing. Absolutely. Yeah. And all those tracks are two hours or a little more within each other. Yeah. So it would work out really well. Um, whether it's, the tail lane or the top lane or both, uh, either way, I think it's a fantastic idea. Maybe you might get a couple more cars who are just committed to one or the other. But again, I think either way you make it work. Maybe it's a top lane weekend earlier in the season somewhere. And then later in the season, it's a tail lane weekend. Um, I think that's a really cool idea. And what I heard at Evans Mills is that Isma is really focused on bringing more shows around here. And I heard tracks like Lancaster and Spencer, mentioned i'm not good. hinting at anything i don't know that but that's the rumor that i heard and i hope it's true well, that's good that's where it started you know that's how it started and um that to me feels like where sometimes you gotta you know you gotta go back to go forward and i think if isma can do more local shows and you can get the oswego guys to go travel to them because they're local um you know, maybe you can then start branching out and I don't even know where in Canada is left that could maybe happen, but, um, you know, but at least you, you've, you've kind of got it back to more home base because it's obvious that there's not a big appetite in new England at this point, as far as you got the NESS and they're doing their thing and that's fine. Um, and they've got their, you know, 10 cars or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, at some point, I still believe that there's a way to put everybody together um, and you just do it with, you know, with rules. So if you're running a crate, you know, versus a build or whatever, you figure out maybe a weight break or whatever you got to do. But I think there's got to be a way eventually to get everybody on the same page. But until then, I think Isma needs to, to, to it could do well you know, have your Michigan swing, your Ohio shows. Those are great. I mean, Jennerstown, fantastic. Love that place. Um, but maybe there's a way, you know, to have some more shows locally and, um, you know, build your organization back up that way. So if that's what they're talking about, fantastic. That's, um, that's awesome. Um, so let's, let's talk about the, the show as a whole. Then Jeff ended up getting the win. Do you have, uh, do you have finishes for us or anything? How much will a measure audio to go on speakerphone? <laughs> well, you could, yeah, go ahead and flip the speaker on if you want. Yeah, um, I do have the finishes. So okay. It's really happy for, for Jeff Abel to win two out of three classics in, in 2023 and bring essentially the fall classic trophy back to central New York, the high miler trophy back to central New York. Okay. Uh, that's really neat. Um, and super happy for those guys and also really happy for Mike McFedden because I know that that race didn't end the way that he wanted it to, but right. he did win the war. Sure and, did. Yep. Uh, they, they don't come much better than Mike. So to no. see him with his title there, you know, in the first combo year of this is my MSS series is really special. So 
Um, the rundown for the race uh, was Jeff getting the win uh, with three laps to go and heavy traffic and Mike McVetta coming home second. Mike Ordway Jr. third, Trent Stevens fourth, Mo Lilge fifth. He was really fun to watch, and as was Brandon Bellinger, who finished sixth. That was a really great run for him uh, and, and a treat to watch. He was he was really tough on on Saturday a couple weeks ago at Evans Mills, just battling on the outside and yeah. uh, put on several great little battles there within the race between himself and Mike Ordway and Jeff Abel. So good for those guys. Um, and Mike Lichty came home seventh in Johnny Benson's car. Mark Sammet was eighth. Dave Danzer ninth. Kyle Edwards tenth. Dan Connors eleventh. John Lasecki twelfth. Joe Gozik thirteenth. Talon Stevens fourteenth. Dave Helliwell fifteenth in the Muldoon car. Sixteenth uh, was AJ Lasecki. Seventeenth was Dave Schulich. Not sure what happened to him, but he was a rocket earlier in the night. So. Um, I know not the finish those guys were looking for. Uh, 18th was Lulave Sr., 19th, Otto Sitterly, um, your points leader going into the deal. Yeah. And to have the championship end that way, that was uh, that was tough. Um, what happened to Otto? The motor. Uh, motor, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that was really unfortunate because there was three, technically four drivers that had a chance at the title going into it. And just a shame to not be able to see Otto race for the title on the track. Uh, I guess he broke a valve in the engine is what happened. So uh, he ended up getting credited with 19th. Um, Mike Bruce, 20th, another guy I felt horrible for because for his first Isma show, boy, did he do good. Uh, that was a really good night for him. They're leading nine out of 10 laps of the heat and running third the first 20 laps of the feature before That's the awesome. motor went. Um, and you hate to see that for yeah. Mike. So uh, he was credited with 20th. And then finally, Eric Lewis finished 21st. Okay, um, so a good turnout too. Over twenty cars there, and again, I think that bodes well. That that is that makes it really hopeful that if we could do, you know, even one show or two shows in the spring and another show in the fall, that's you know that's that's great. That adds some some nice extra racing for the big block guys, um, and you know, and the fans too get to travel a little bit without traveling, you know, miles and miles. It's fairly. Uh, doable and um, everybody gets to go to a first class facility and have some fun so that's awesome um, happy to see all of that I know that the SBS cars also ran uh, you know with the the big blocks and um, that was the show where your dad tried to run and and uh, and and then you ended up putting Rich Petruco in the car did really well. Um, Rich is a great race car driver and, and happy to see him get that opportunity. Um, but uh, I think it was Danny Kay that ended up winning the race. And I think him and Mike Bruce had a heck of a battle, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe Mike Bruce would have a different opinion of that, but um, oh. Danny ended up getting the win. Uh, okay. Yeah. They got together on a restart oh, apparently okay. from what I, I understand. I didn't get that part of the memo. Okay. Yeah, I missed the whole thing too. I was just watching. I was just Rich told and, that they were they had a great battle and Danny won. Okay, uh, somebody yeah. didn't give me all the information. Sorry, Mike. Yeah, Mike had led the whole way, and <laughs> um, and I don't know because I didn't see it. But what I've heard is that there was contact. Mike spun, and then he decided to kind of retire the car for the rest of the race. But no. um, it was actually a really good race up until four laps to go. We just couldn't get past four laps to go. It was getting so frustrating because guys just kept tangling one way or another, front and back of the field, and 
Uh, it took like five restarts at the end to get oh, the wow. race done, which was a shame because it was it was good up until that point. And still a good battle for the win at the end and on a couple of those restarts with Danny and Mike. So it was it was a good battle. I just don't think it ended the way Mike would have preferred it to. Well, uh, here's a funny story because, uh, and, and maybe a lot of people don't even know this, but um, that's ironic because – it was at Evans Mills where Danny actually made his first ever start in a what what was then limited super. Um, he was about 15, I think. Um, and I, th- I think it was 15 because at that point in time, he wasn't old enough to race a swigger yet. And so his his father, Mike, and I got talking and, and um, I had the idea of um trying to get him a ride for one of the Nora shows at Evans Mills because I at that point in time I don't think we had really an age limit and so um we ended up getting him into Bob Andrews car um for for that show and Danny went out and he was leading the show um and on a on a very late race restart Denny Wheeler spun him out Really? Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think Denny actually took, I think they think it took them both out and, um, and yeah, Danny, Danny was, was potentially going to win that race. And so it's, it's just funny for me to hear that because I I don't even know what year that would have been. Um, but it was, it, it was a good while ago, probably shoot. I don't know, maybe 2000 or so. I, I, I lose track of, of, you know, like as we get closer to recent, my brain condenses, but, um, yeah, that was, um, that was his first, first race in a, I think first, uh, first race, the limited, he did a great job. And then they ended up, I think that was the car that they ended up buying for his first, uh, first limited super. And, um, yeah, Danny was that, that was a, um, that was a fantastic performance he put on that day. And he was just, I think he felt bad because, um, because I think he wanted to win it for Mike. Like, I think that was his sort of motivation thing. It was, it was tough after the race cause he was a little emotional, but, um, you know, and, and, but yeah, it was just, I'm not, I'm not saying Denny did it on purpose. Of course, I'm just saying that that's, that's the end result. So, um, yeah, that's funny when you say that, that him and Mike, you know, that happened. It's like, well, Danny's been on both ends of that now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, again, I don't even know what happened. And it's uh, tight quarters. So, around. you know, that's, yeah. That's, um, you know, that's how it goes sometimes. So it was between those guys. Uh, I think Mike, Danny, and Jesse Barrup were the cars to beat. Uh, I actually think we may have had the car to beat. I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, it ended up being a showdown between Danny Kay and Jesse Barrup uh, the last few laps, uh, which was which was good. Uh, it, it was good racing uh, once we got past those four or five yellows. That was, that was the brutal part of it all. But uh, Danny was able to... Mike was able to hold off Danny for a while. Then they came together, and then Danny had to hold off Jesse, who's been really, really good, uh, crazy, crazy fast at a swiggo. And Evans Mills, they've just found a, a ton of speed. And uh, I'd like some of whatever they're having because that car's rocket <laughs> ship right now. Uh, yeah, he was running eight, no, not 18, um, 15 fours in his heat race, I think, at no Evans kidding. Mills. Wow. Which is a which is a track record. Wow. Yeah, so. He was he was hooked up. So yeah, that's uh that's amazing. I mean, well, and that's the thing with that class right now. You got, you know, guys like Barrup and 
and Danny and uh, I mean, you know, Danny didn't run much this year with, with the SBS car. And I don't really know what the plan is for, for next year. I know they've got the three fifty now, but like, you've got so many people now. Um, Mikey did a great job in Gunther's car at Oswego um, for the classic and anything that kid gets in, he's fast like that. I can only imagine that that field up there, you had rich in your car. That must've been a really, really close field for those cars there. Yeah, that's the nice thing about Evans Mills. It's great racing, guaranteed. And yeah, um, I just checked in the record lap. By the way, is now a fourteen five nine eight. Before somebody corrects me on that, okay. But just su- super quick. 14, uh, the record last year was a fourteen seven two three, and Jesse picked up on that quite a bit. Uh, Danny K had previously held it, so uh, it just goes to show you how fast that car is, and also how good of a car that Danny and Mike both had in the feature to be able to hold him off. Um, so everybody was super, super even in speed. It was, you know, in practice, I think the fastest lap was a 14-7, and one of the wow. slowest laps was a, a 15-1-2. I mean, everybody was just so even, and it's it's tough to pass. It was kind of a little short track, bump and grind type of race, sure. and uh, a lot of guys did a really good job. I think a few got a little overzealous at certain points, but don't we all at a track like that? And, um <laughs> I think that it was a great show uh, for the fans, so uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, wish I could have got to see my dad run, but super proud of Rich and uh, very deserving of the opportunity. We found out really quick what a wheel man he is. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I could have told you that. <laughs> I've been watching Rich race for a long time, and <laughs> yeah. actually, you know, when he was racing the modifieds, he, I mean, he... Rich is a driver who could easily have, have gone to the next level. But, you know, again, it's, it's, it's tough because so much of it is sponsorship and, and all of that. And, 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 and a lot of that, at, when you're talking about that kind of dollars, a lot of that is just timing and an opportunity. And, um, you know, everybody thinks there's a big science to it. And there is to a point. There are things that you need to do if you're going to be um, able to, you know, command that kind of value. But at the same time, a lot of it too is just you know you you meet somebody who is um in a position of influence for a business that's emerging and looking for opportunities and there it is you know it's it's um yeah. a lot of that is just you know and that's um but yeah rich it wasn't anything to do with you know rich's lack of talent or or anything else as much as it was just um you know just the lack of of um, timing and opportunity. And after a bit, you just, you just decide, uh, well, I'll just go do this other thing. And so I'm um, glad to see him get the opportunities because um, he certainly is a capable racer. And he always was a driver too. Rich was that took care of his equipment. He was never really a, you know, a, a crazy driver, a, you know, sort of checkers and records kind of drivers, very methodical. And um, you know, yep. so that's, that's great that uh, you, you gave him the opportunity to, to get back in and, uh, and drive and he got a nice finish out of it. And then you went on to Lancaster and just sort of, as you say, got a little greedy, a little selfish and you know what, it's your car, dang it. You have a right to do that. Um, yeah, that's what Rich told me. So, you know, it's your car. I mean, you know, so that was good. And you got a heat went out of it now, you know, what was it like to race at Lancaster? Cause I mean, that's, um, that's a very different sort of a track. And it's also a very ancient track. Um, I don't know what they've, I think they've refurbished the facility a lot over the last 10, 15, 20 years, but um, I don't know if the track's any really different than it was way back when I was going there in the eighties and nineties. Well, so the funny thing about all of that is that at Evans Mills, 
we kind of talked about it and we hoped those issues wouldn't flare up for my dad. But I had told Rich, if he can't go, you're going because he has me beat an experience there because I've never run there. I only practiced there oh. before I went to a swiggle with the car. So I told him, that's that's all you, and then we'll see for Lancaster because it's an even playing field. But I had never raced on any track other than a swiggle. And I went out for the first warm-up, and I freaking sucked <laughs> really bad. <laughs> and I just, I didn't know. I There was no, I'm so spoiled with the scoreboard at a swiggle. I didn't know what a good lap was, if oh. I was running a good lap. Uh, the car felt pretty good. Um, I noticed the track was really abrasive. It's bumpy down the back stretch. And then when the surface kind of changes over from the regular asphalt to the drag strip on the front stretch, uh, it tends to upset the car a little bit. Okay. So I came in and we were like, I don't know, like six fastest out of 12 and like half a second off a fast time. And um, my dad and Rich told me what I needed to do. And I figured it out. I went out and we set fast time in the next practice and wow. the fastest for the day. So picked up half a second, but nice. it was, uh, yeah, just kind of, I don't want to say all in my head because that's, that's not the case, but sort of what I had put into my brain in the sense of where I needed to let off, get on the throttle, uh, that needed to be significantly adjusted before the second practice. And we ended up going out and having a really good car after that. I just had to put my mind to the right marks on the racetrack. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's so much of it too, is, is just the mental aspect of it. Boy, once you got it right, um, so you went out and won the heat. And, um, so talk about the day as a whole. I mean, the, the racing and, and all of that, um, you know, talk about, uh, I mean, obviously I, I don't know what was there like 10 or 12 cars there. I don't know. It was a huge turnout. Was it? Yeah, it was 12 cars. Okay. I was actually really disappointed about that. Um, and we had Griffin ended up crashing out and practice, uh, had a car spin in front of them and they Ooh. made contact and, um, that car sustained heavy damage, but there was quite a few guys that I thought were going to come out or had said they were going to, that didn't come out for whatever reason. And, and things happen, but it was, you know, we had 18 cars at Evans mills. It yeah. was our first time there. It was a week later, didn't tear up really a lot of stuff at Evans mills at all. And for some reason, whatever reason we lost six or seven cars and that was a real bummer because uh to me i think that it's pretty neat that danny's done what he's done with this series and got us on the burr classic weekend at evans mills and then u.s open at lancaster a week later so the biggest weekend of the season for those two tracks and that's a big deal and i really wanted to leave a good first impression for the class i think we did racing wise but maybe not so much car count wise so that's a little disappointing i think yeah, I mean it's um there again it's it's I don't know it's it's you would think if you didn't tear tear up much you know at Evans Mills that maybe a week later it again it's not a far drive a couple three hours right to Lancaster so um I don't know but uh, you know I, again sometimes it's quality over quantity and sounds like the racing was good um, so you know give us the rundown of of kind of how things went and the finish. Yeah, uh, the qualifiers, uh, Danny and I ended up drawing good, and we both got to win in our qualifiers. And uh, somebody I wanted to shout out was Joe Pappen, who the Barrips put in their car. I guess oh. Jesse's – I don't know what he's doing, actually. He he's uh, was leading the point – well, in the championship now, the team did, because it's by car number and, and team, not driver, oh. uh, for this series. And he couldn't make Lancaster for whatever reason. They ended up putting Joe in, who finished third at – 
Evans Mills in the modified race. Oh, nice. The Burr Classic modified race, so his first SBS start. And uh, he was pretty quick. I was actually quite worried about him. He was in my heat and uh, starting not too far behind us in the feature. So a good job done by him. But uh, Drew Pascuzzi and I uh, ended up drawing the front row, and we brought the field to green, and I got the jump on him and led, I think, the first eight laps. And we were like a straightaway ahead, so I thought we were, we were going to be gone. And a yellow ended up coming out, unfortunately. <laughs> That's what uh, you get for thinking. Yep, Joe was working on, I think, third place there. Um, I'm not sure who he made contact with, but he ended up getting sent tail and had to come from the back. Uh, I think got back up to sixth. Uh, nice. And then I restarted next to Danny Kay on lap eight. Uh, got the jump on Danny, led for four more laps. Um, he gave me a little tap in turn one. Um, oh. Ran me clean. Ran me clean. It was good, clean racing. And, um just unfortunately our car just went away it was getting freer actually going into the corners which is not comfortable and then when you mess up your entry you you mess up your whole corner so I got loose in walked it up and he got underneath me out of two and he cruised from there he pulled away from us uh quite a bit Uh, unfortunately I think I made him look like a little too much of a hero than I would have liked to the other (laughs) night but uh he he got out front and cruised and and congrats to him uh we came home second uh, DJ Schumann had a really nice day, uh, both at Evans Mills and at Lancaster, and uh, was coming on strong for third, so good for him also. And then Lulave Jr. ended up getting the nod in the O'Connor Racing 29, and that's oh, his no first. Right, yeah, that's wow, his first SBS start and in eons, so uh, good run for him, good solid day to finish fourth. Um, I know Joe finished sixth, and then Greg O'Connor was fifth, so that was your top five or six finishers there okay now um i don't think we actually gave the evans mills sbs rundown so um let's backtrack for a minute because i want to make sure we document that too so what do you have from that one yeah i'll do both for you here um again danny k getting the win at evans mills uh, in the burr classic jesse barrett second cameron Rowe was third uh great day for cameron up there uh, now he had a good excuse not to be at lancaster he was on a family vacation so um, I got you. Cameron didn't make it up, uh, but he, he did finish third at Evans Mills, had a great day. Uh, Rich was fourth for us. Uh, Griffin Miller, fifth. Sean Muldoon, how about that? Finished sixth. That's right. Sean, who is he driving for? I forgot. That's the O'Connor car. Also oh, he was there, in the, the 29. 29. Okay, yeah, because I knew he was coming yeah. back. I forgot which car he was going to get in. That's cool. Yeah, and he was fast right out of the gate. I wasn't sure how he'd do, but oh, he Sean looked really only good. has two speeds. He's either He's either out of the car or he's hammered down. <laughs> well, he did a pretty good job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So happy to see him get a decent day out of it. Uh, DJ Schumann, seventh. Noah Ratcliffe, eighth. AJ Larkin, ninth. Brad Ains, tenth. Jim Babcock, eleventh. Nice to see him back in a car, his his older car uh, that he had and was eventually purchased by Ryan Gunther. So uh, it was nice to see Jim back out. Nice. Uh, Drew Petscruzzi finished twelfth. Mike Fowler was thirteenth. Jude Parker, fourteenth. Mike Bruce, fifteenth. Cameron Rowe, Jr., uh, again, another car that wasn't at Lancaster. We ended up losing both the rows, but um, very, very cool. And I'm super envious of the row boys that they got to race against each other, father and son. Yeah, super I don't uh, remember ever knowing Cameron even had a Cameron Road Jr. And all of a sudden he's racing. Is he, in, is, right? is he, how, what is he, like a probably 20 or 20? What, what do we, what do we know about him? I don't know. He looks about 20. I guess he raced carts for a little bit, but I kind of oh. forgot he existed until he went out there and Eric Howell Superstock at the Classic yeah. and did really well. And then uh, 
moved up to the SBS and um, was pretty pretty respectably fast out of the gate at Evans Mills too. Nice. So um, I don't know what ended up happening. They didn't get the finish they wanted, obviously. But um, how special for those guys to race against each other and uh, Cameron had a smile a mile wide all day. So. I bet. So really, really neat. That was awesome. Do we have uh, Cameron and Cameron Jr. both in SBS cars at Oswego next year in our bingo card or what? Sounds like it. Sounds nice. like it. So that's pretty neat. That's awesome. Uh, love, love that. Keep going. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. 17th was Jordan Sullivan and then 18th, Robbie Worth. And then Heat wins to Robbie, Jesse Barrett, and DJ Schumann. Okay. So that's Evans Mills. And now uh, let's go ahead and finish out Lancaster. Yep, Danny going two for two and a nice, another $1,000 paycheck for him. So he's loving his own series right now. <laughs> yeah, it's paying him well, isn't it? <laughs> hey, it's paying him well. Uh, but we got $600 for a second, which is a pretty darn good payout. So thanks, Dan, for what you're doing with this. And Absolutely. Sure yep. uh, DJ Schumann third, Lulavay Jr. fourth. Uh, it was Noah Ratcliffe fifth, not Greg O'Connor. Okay. Sorry, Noah. All right. So Noah got fifth. Uh, also got the driver's championship for the small block super championship series uh presented by jake's automotive so thanks to jake's for everything they do also absolutely uh, sixth place was joe pappen in the 37 seventh was aj larkin eighth was drew pascuzzi ninth mike fowler 10th greg o'connor and griffin miller was a do not start i guess we had 11 cars so uh a bit light but nonetheless i think it was a, a decent race at the front between Danny and I, and I hope the fans, I don't know, were pretty pleased with the show we put on. I, I think I think it went well overall. Well, I mean, I guess you look at it two ways. It was the first time for, uh, you know, you guys on their cards. So I'm not sure, you know, as far as I, I would imagine that even if you didn't have the car count, if the racing was good, then you probably, you know, at least met with or exceeded the crowd expectations. So I would say probably safe bet that if you guys wanted to and danny puts it together they'd probably have you back next year but it would be nice that's kind of one of those deals where if you're going to do them back to back like that um maybe there could be some sort of bonus you know for best average finish or you you know you do some sort of a deal where it's a little more incentive for some more of the guys to run both right yeah yeah i mean he's got the point fun going and everything and um it, it would be it would be advantageous, I think, to kind of look at a Evans Mills Lancaster bonus sure, for 2024. You know. um, yeah, why not? Um, we'll see what he comes up with. I think that Danny's planning on doing it again. And Good. I know the tracks that we were at were interested. Uh, Chamun was supposed to close completely, and oh, now no. they're not, which oh, is like really, Thank really God. good news. Yeah. Um, so they'll be back, I hope, on not only back, but on our schedule for next year as Good. well. Good. And, uh, I'm kind of itching. I'm looking around now, and it's it's fun to go race other tracks. So I'd like to get to you know Spencer and maybe Holland, and uh, there's Wyoming County. So there's there's some places that we could get to. It just you know it's it's a lot of effort and work for Danny. So it depends on how much time and money he's able to devote to it. And um, just happy to support that as much as we can. It works out well for us once the Super season is over that we can go and support those shows. I think it would be interesting to see the 350s and the SBS travel together to a couple of those shows. Um, and, you know, it, it would be um, like, I'd love to see the 350s at Shemung. I think that would be a really interesting show to see what the 350 class could do there. Um, you know, I, yeah. I, I know there's not a ton of cars yet to travel, but, you know, 
Um, I think it's that type of thing that gets more people interested in the class too. So maybe there's something yeah, that sure. could be done there. But um, you know, Spencer is as flat as a. I mean, it's a paperclip. That's really the. Um, I, I somebody once. Um, I won't say the name because it's. A, <laughs> I don't want to out them, but it's it's. Uh, somebody once looked at me and said, "You know, this would be a great place to build a racetrack," um, <laughs> and it's because they were kind of bemoaning the fact that it's as flat as a pancake, right? And uh, but what yeah. I I think again those that track um, would put on some interesting shows for the because I've seen big block super races there, um, yeah. And uh, and I'm I'm I want to say that we I think Nora went there one time I can't remember. Um, oh yeah, a few times. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I mean, it's you know I just don't know kind of what the status of that track is. I know it's not running weekly as far as I know, and I'm not sure Holland is either. But that's another track. My gosh, the banking on that track, the supers yeah. put on a fantastic show at Holland. Um, you know, the, 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 the couple times that I saw him there, I'd love to see. Um, so yeah, you're right. And I don't even think about Wyoming County ever because that's kind of, um, off the beaten path, but that's, you know, it's an interesting, um, interesting idea as well. So there's a lot of possibilities there, but like you said, it's a lot to, you know, and, and, and again, you, you kind of, um, you know, you kind of have to, with with a swigo you know you, you can only do so much during the season because i know you're not going to get the guys to travel too much right. too far during the oswego season but if i think evans mills would be reasonable maybe spencer you know um but there's you know there it's it's um but you, you know if you could if you could do three or four a year you know for for the for the sbs and the 350s it would be uh I think that that makes it even, like I said, more incentive for somebody to buy a car if they got more opportunities to race it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and it was great to see 350 smack get up to Lancaster, yeah. but a local 350 traveling series would be cool as well. Yeah. Uh, just a lot to take on. And then it is. with the SBS, I think Danny's challenge this year was there was so many SBS races at Oswego, and the only weeks off after opening night were Arborfest High Miler weekend there, and then the week before Classic. They literally raced every week, so he didn't really have the luxury of scheduling anything right. mid-season like he did the prior year. Um, but if we could get up to, you know, Evans Mills again before the season starts, sure. we seem to be set for that spring date again. And then also the Burr Classic, of course. I'm sure that's going to continue. And then who knows? Maybe I'm not sure what exactly the schedule is going to look like. Probably pretty similar at Oswego. But if we could sprinkle some other tracks in here and there, maybe one during the season and another couple in the month of September, that would be outstanding. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, just a little variety and a few more opportunities to go race the car um, for everybody would be, would be great. And by the way, for those who don't know who John Burr is and why they have a classic named after him, John Burr was the announcer at Evans Mills and he was great. I worked with him and I'm trying to remember the year. I want to say it was maybe 97 or 98, but um the year that I worked up there, I worked with John and I also did all of the infield sort of on camera sort of stuff and um and just had a blast. Um that track at the time um I don't remember uh, Walt. Um, gosh, what was his name? I can't remember his last name, but what, it was a father. It was a, or a husband and wife that owned it, and um, they were great. And it was it was just so much fun to do. And um, 
so yeah, the, the, the opportunity to work with John was, was awesome. And, um, you know, really had a good time there. So, um, John, I, I know, uh, I want to say maybe it was cancer, uh, that he passed from, um, and, uh. Um, but he was, he was, he was a fantastic announcer and, and kind of, uh, you know, I would say he was to Evans Mills, what, you know, maybe Roy Silva would, would, you know, would be to Oswego. He just was there for a long time, was, was really, um, you know, uh, part of the fabric, so to speak. And so, um, you know, just had a, had a really good time with him that one year. So that's, that's kind of the backstory there. If anybody's wondering who the, who John Burr is. Uh, that's, that's, that's who he was and, um, just a great guy. So, um, yeah, uh, great stuff. I mean, it's, uh, and, and now, um, as quickly as, as it starts, the season's over. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, yeah, I'm very depressed. I, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you just really get on a roll. It's so short anymore. You really get on a roll and then it's, and then it's, uh, then it's over, but really, a. a uh, I know it wasn't the season for you personally that you might have might have wanted, but you did get your first feature win, and you had some good runs in the SBS car, and your dad did get back yeah. on the track. So yeah, we'll take it. A few yeah. podiums and first feature win—that's a yeah. phenomenal season for a part-time season. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, and I again, it seems like um, you know things are looking good for next season. Changes being talked about as far as you know, what do we do? You know, the cars and whatever to get more passing, and it and it seems like uh, I mean, obviously, there's one more event left at the track, uh, Super Dirt Week coming up, but. Um, you know, uh, obviously nothing left on the payment till next season, but it, it just seems like there's, there's some optimisms, new, uh, 350 cars, uh, some of them making their debut at the end of the year, classic week. Um, and now, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully everybody kind of stands pat for next year and, and we get one or two new cars, uh, to come in at each class and start and, and just keep going in the direction we're going. Yeah, I certainly don't think we're going to lose anybody in any of the classes. I think we just might be gaining them. And uh, the schedule is going to look the same. We can go ahead and end any of the weird dirt rumors that I'm reading on Facebook this week and uh, planning what, on opening what? the same Wait, weekend. Hang on, hang on, stop, hang on. I got to go back. What, what, uh, somebody got the uh, Oswego's going dirt full time rumor going again? That's been going since the first time they threw dirt on the track. Uh, it's it's every year, and people <laughs> people just start and stuff in threads. I hear a Swiggo's futures in question, and it's like what? <laughs> <That's> not, <laughs> not no, <laughs> just just no. It's not <laughs> not at all. Uh, oh, same man. thing next year. Same thing as every year. What so. that is is dirt fans' wishful thinking. It is. Yeah, you're right. That's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah. Yep. We don't need another dirt track around here. We Whoa. really don't. I mean, I love the deal. It's great. They've done a good job with the track for the most part, and I enjoy it. But Oswego would compete with seven other weekly Saturday yeah, night dirt exactly. tracks. It's not the, the Treacy's love supers. They are not going to let that track go dirt full time. It it's not going to happen. Yeah. Like you said, you hit it on the head. It makes no business sense to become just another dirt track. Um, right. when you can be the only super modified weekly track in the freaking country, like, come on people. Right. Um, and so no, that, that doesn't, um, super dirt week is super dirt week. It's a huge event. It makes a lot yep. of money, probably helps honestly to, to make, you know, the rest of the year financially feasible for the, for the, um, for the Teresis and, um, sure. and puts on one heck of a racing weekend. So, um, you know, it has its place that there are the negatives, obviously. I mean, we know 
um, from other situations. This is, you know, Bristol's not doing dirt anymore. That's over with. Thank God. Um, you know, for, yep. for next year. I mean, we know that, that it does have its sort of effects on the pavement or whatever. It, it just, but, um, that in that, in this particular situation, um, a Swigo has put on by far, in my opinion, the best racing super dirt week has ever seen. You can say oh, all you want definitely. about the mile. Um, and I'm not saying there weren't great races at the mile cause I saw some, but it, I mean, that thing just fell apart. The state was not taking care of it. It was a great social event out in the parking lot. It was terrible racing. And so to bring it, to bring it to a Swigo and I was, I'll be the first to admit, didn't, didn't think it was a good idea. Um, I mean, I, I, I just, again, the sort of dirt on top of pavement thing. Um, but I, I thought, you know, there were other places they could have brought it. Um, but then I, I saw it. I mean, the first year it was, it was good. It was, you know, it was, it was, but by the, by about the second or third year I was in like, it was, it's okay. They figured this out. It's great racing. The dust is, is not such a big thing. Um, you know, it's, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, it's, it, to me, this is what super dirt week ought to be short track. They don't run miles. It's like, don't, what, you know, don't, don't make it a big anomaly like that. Um, and make everybody have to do all kinds of expensive things with their car. Just, you know, bring them to a neutral track and let's go. Um, which is the other thing that a swiggle gives them that some of my other ideas wouldn't have. So I'm, I'm glad that, um, I'm glad that it exists. I'm very happy for the, for the, the area because a lot of people come in, spend a lot of money there. Um, and you know, there's opportunities for everybody to, to win in the deal. So, um, but no, I, I have never ever bought into the fact that it's going dirt full time. And, and I think people that start that, like I said, I think it's just wishful thinking. Um, yeah. and they're all silly because <laughs> it's just not practical. <laughs> I mean, you're not, you know, it's like, what are you going to run there? Big blocks, small blocks. You're going to compete with Fulton and Burton. Like, really? What? It's <laughs> not enough cars. No. There isn't even enough cars in the premier division to do no. it. It's just people don't think before they speak. So, you know, I mean, you might, might get, it might get Joe Gozik and Tyler Thompson to still run weekly there, but that's about it. I mean, you're not going to, you know, Mike Fowler, maybe, uh, you know, yeah, you're, you're Joe's just, racing Fulton. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's great. Cause I, yeah, I, yeah. I, uh, we were texting the other day, uh, cause we're, we're, we're going to, um, he agreed classic weekend. We're going to do, we never finished the Joe Gozik story uh, on the show. We got as far as his first indie race. And then he had to go pick up his daughter at gymnastics, I think back then. And so, um, we're, we're going to do the neck, the, the rest of the story, so to speak. And, um, oh, reached out to him and he, he's like, no, we're, we're going to run Fulton and, 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 uh, and then, you know, we'll see about super dirt week based on Fulton. So basically, uh, he said, text me back Monday and, um, we'll see where we are. And so eventually we're going to get, uh, Joe back on the show. Um, but yeah, I may have to wait a couple of weeks cause, uh, the old geezer still out racing the dirt car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I couldn't be happier. Good for him. Yep. You know, absolutely. So, um, well, so, uh, when, when do we leave for Norway, Cam? How long, much longer are you here? Uh, and you know, when, uh, do we have another shot at, uh, you know, uh, how many more shots do we get at this before you take off out of the country for months? Oh, you got me for a couple more weeks and then I'll be there from okay, good. mid October until Christmas time. So there you go. 
Well, um, and you know, I, I love it when you, I love it when you go there. Cause I just love all the pictures that you post from over there. It looks like just a beautiful place. And then I hate it when you go there cause we can't do this anymore till the spring. Right. So, <laughs> so, uh, anyway, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll try to do one or two more shows with Cam before he, uh, heads off out of the country, but, um, we'll, we'll, uh, We'll let you go for now and um, look forward to talking to you again here in the next week or two. That is Camden Proud. We appreciate him being on. We'll be back with more of the Groove What's in a Number. Well, number 30 is next. Experience the age-old Irish hospitality at LaGroff's Pub and Grill, Oswego's premier local spot to grab a cold one and cheer on your favorite sports teams. Stop in for an ice cold beer alongside some exceptional pub fare. Burgers, wings, chicken sandwiches, Philly cheesesteaks, soups, and more. You want it, they've got it. Served up with more than 40 years of awesome customer service. Have a friendly game of darts against players from across the world. That's right, players from across the world. Where else? In Oswego, can you go to play darts against somebody from across the world? That's crazy. Watch the games on their eight big screen TVs or just relax at Oswego's Neighborhood Bar and Grill. The Groff's Pub, 187 East 10th Street in Oswego. Check them out on legroffs.com. We're back on the Inside Groove Supermodified podcast and again, want to say thank you to all of our supporters of this show from Rich Worth and JNS Paving to Sean Cathcart and uh, Groff's Pub slash Skip's Fish Fry. And of course, Jeff West and IPC Indy. And our latest new addition to the family is Wiggity Wayne Sauces. If you are into barbecue sauces, and uh, ketchup and rubs, all of that good stuff. Condiments, Wiggity Wayne sauces, which is made right up in the Northeast. Wayne Hanslake is a racer. He's a kart racer, and he's from the Buffalo area. Wayne is the coolest guy you'll ever meet, and uh, we are going to actually have him on one of these upcoming shows, so we he can talk about uh, share his story with you a little bit, but. Um, Wayne, uh, Wayne has joined the family. His sauces are amazing. Um, the flavors he has, some of them I've never heard of before. Um, and the character that he's created around himself, Wiggity Wayne, um, is, is just downright funny, frankly. So, um, Everybody should go to Wiggity. That's W I G G I D Y. Wiggity Wayne. Wiggity Wayne Sauces.com. Um, and, and, uh, and, and try something. Pick something and try it. Just, just order, order something as a sample. Try it. Um, Wiggity Wayne Sauces.com. Um, and, 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 uh, follow him on Facebook. Uh, if you would, Wiggity Wayne Sauces. Follow him on Facebook and, uh, let him know that you appreciate his support of steering wheel nation and this show please um so uh and i hope you enjoy the the, the sauces um again sauces ketchup rubs there's all kinds of different options there from uh mild to wild it looks like <laughs> i think um looking at some of the flavors there are a few i just will i i don't do spice i don't do anything spicy so um 
there are a few things, I, places I won't go there, but he's got um, the, the, the actual ketchup, the, the sort of straight up ketchup. Um, and, uh, you know, that and, and so the mild stuff is is good, but I don't um, I don't prefer uh, the spices. It's not I'm not saying his are bad. I just don't eat anything um, hot. Um, everything for me is zero spice. That's, uh, my, uh, that, uh, yeah, I don't do well with spicy stuff. Okay. So, um, support Wiggity Wayne, please. And our other sponsors. Um, and so, um, I wanted, uh, what's in the number is, is coming up here. Uh, this is the number 30 and this is, um, this is, a number that I feel like rightfully belongs to Slammin' Sammy Carista. There have been some others, and we'll go through this, but um, this is Slammin' Sammy's number, in my opinion. There's he was, he was he and his son Ed, back in the seventies, and I don't know, I don't know that Ed might not have raced. I don't remember when they stopped. I don't know that that he might not have raced into the early eighties, but, um, but, um, yeah, Sam and Sam and Ed, and then, um, shoot, Sammy raced, went back to Brewerton and was running a four cylinder right up till almost, I, I don't, I don't, I, I, I moved away and he was still racing. <laughs> uh, so I don't know if he, had stopped racing before he passed away or, or not. Um, but he, I mean, he, he raced a long time and started on dirt, then came to Oswego and then went back to dirt. So, um, he was the first number 30 that I remember. Now there was a number 30 in around 74 or 75 ish that, um, I think Don McLaren drove, um, it was an upright and I think Ollie Silva also drove it or no, I think maybe it was Larry record I'm thinking of. And then, um, of course, Ollie had his own upright, the zero that was the Wayne's no, what was it? Cats speed shop cats. Um, something. Yeah. Um, cane cane speed shop. I think, right. Was that cane speed shop? Um, cause he had the gremlin modified too. That was zero, but I know there was like a, a purple number 30 that Don McLaren ran a time or two. And I think maybe Larry record might've driven it. So I don't know who owned it. Um, but, um, uh, and then Sammy had his now Sammy's 30 that I remember if we, again, we're going back to 1973 here when I went, uh, started going. Sammy had the, he had a Dick Dummigan as not to be confused with Dunnigan who came along much later, but Dick Dummigan built a car, um, that, uh, Sammy Carista had, I think, and, um, might've been a former quirky Stockham car, maybe that Corky drove. Remember Corky from the parts peddler? I think, uh, so it may have been, may have been that. Yeah. 
Uh, may have been one. May, his number, what was it, 60 he ran this? I think Kempton Dates actually drove that in a classic one time back in the day. Maybe around 1969 or 70 or something. 71, somewhere in there. Um, but uh, Sammy had the, it was the purple people eater, remember? Um, and uh, had the purple like bubble helmet and uh yeah that that was um and then sam would occasionally jump over he ran the the orange 37 car for um john corb um and that was the one that freddie graves i think helped build <coughs> excuse me helped build and i think he also um, well, he won his first uh, feature in it, and that was maybe 72, perhaps. Um, and uh, so um, Sammy drove that car quite a bit, but he also had his car there as a backup, and that's when Eddie started racing it at some point in the earlier, like 75, 76-ish. Um, and then, you know, Sam would sometimes still drive it or whatever. And then he built a new car, which was a copy of the 37. And I didn't really even, I remember when that, when he, when that car came out that he built his new car, um, I did not put two and two together that that was supposed to be a copy of the 37. But now that, now that I, now that I know that, um, and, and I look at the two cars, they are very similar. Sammy's car was, the copy was a little bit, I think a little bit sort of bigger and wider, but they are very similar in profile. And that was the last car that Sam drove at Oswego and and then Ed drove it for a while. And, you know, then they, I guess they just parked it. Um, You know, it it got to a point, I think, where it wasn't even so much the actual cost to compete. Well, I guess it was. But, you know, when it got to a point where you had just a ton of the radical offsets there. So we got into the eighties, you know, drivers like Sammy, you know, probably you can't afford the big motor, um, you know, and, and there, there gets to the point where you just, you aren't qualifying for the features necessarily. So it just gets tough. It's tough. It, it, you know, we lost a lot of those owner, cars you know um in this case that was a family deal sam owned ed drove um but um you know that was so that was um those those 230 cars are i think the only two i remember in that period of time that that upright 30 and then sammy's 30 plural 30s yeah because he had the two Um, and then who else would have been, I, I, again, I'm trying to, to sort of get 
order sorted out here. I think the next 30 I remember would, would have been a while um, after that. It was Jim Crouch. Well, Lionel Earl had a car. And I actually just um, saw a picture of this car the other day. And I'm trying to remember now because I always thought it was there were two show cars and I don't, again, I don't even remember quite the year, but one of them was a Jerry O'Neill car. One of them was a Dave Schillett car and neither of the two cars. They were, they were sort of identical looking cars, except for obviously the, the, the colors. Um, they never did work well in Oswego, <clears throat> but both of them were pretty. That's pretty in, <laughs> in Southern speak. Both of them were pretty, and I want to I want to say that the Earl, Lionel Earl car was one of those, um, but I can't remember. I'll have to I'll have to to ask. Jim Crouch drove that car, and just I something broke, and he just walloped the front stretch wall with it. And I remember that being a thirty. Um. That this is not the 30 is not a number that gets used all that often. And I'm trying to think if we had one since. And now I'm I always get worried that we have one now and it just doesn't my brain doesn't let me recall it till like a day later when Larry Trinkus called me on it. <laughs> um 30, 30, 30. Um I was trying to think if we even ever had any in the in the limited division, SBS, whatever, I, golly, Bill, um, again, it's just one of those numbers that has not been used a lot, but, but, you know, but I feel like, like I said, I feel like this is a Krista family number, but Sammy Krista is the guy that I most remember in, in the 30 car. And, um, Sammy was just such a good personality too. He was so much fun and nice guy. Um, I think his wife's name was Dolores. Um, and, and when, um, I think at Brewerton at the end, they were, they were running four cylinder cars and it was Sam. And I think Ed was also racing. Um, and I want to say there was at least one grandson that was racing too. So it was like three generations of Caristas. I think they were all racing at the same time. How cool is that? That's why I like divisions like the four cylinders. You know, they're cheap. You don't have to spend a lot to go race one. You just go have a good time. There's usually a pretty good field of them. So it's competitive. Um, and uh, yeah. So I think there were three Caristas, but um, that's who I remember the most. I was trying to think if um, I always th- oh Don McLaren did come back. I think that was uh, when McLaren. Um, I think his last couple cars that he had. Now that I'm thinking about it, were 30s. Yeah, I think that was. Um, I I think that he had. Uh, the, this would be early 80s. In fact, I think one of them. I think Larry Trick occurred for him one classic, and I think he was using the 30 number. Um. And those are beautiful cars, Nelson Powell cars. Now, Don had driven for Nelson in the mid-70s, and he had, remember the one and the two? 
They were both Limblad, or not Limblad. They were both, um, well, yeah, actually, um, yeah, because that's who built the Limblad. Nelson Powell owned him. Limblad built the one. The two, I'm not sure if that was, um, I want to say, and maybe the one wasn't even, was that a Limblad car? Trying to remember. Yeah, I think it was. Pretty sure it was. Um, The two car, I I don't know that Limblad built that. He might have. Yeah, I guess he did. And it was built, if I remember the story right, it was built to be a USAC sprint car and it got banned. So they made it into a super and that's, I've told this story before, that was the clap, that was the, the rain out Port City cover of 1976. They did the rain out program and uh, <laughs> my parents, my mom wouldn't get it for me. It was always so bad. So it, but, because um, I, it, and it really isn't the fact that you know, it, it probably wouldn't have bothered me, except that um, th- those two cars are on the cover. Like I, I just could stare at those cars all day. Even even as young as I was, like I look at those cars, they're just gorgeous. And um, so, thankfully, uh, you know, Larry Trinka had some doubles, so I that was one of my acquired um, that program. And and I, in fact, I just looked at it again the other day. I, I'm kind of in a in a phase now of pulling out random programs, which I think I said at the top of the show. That's when I read the the article from the the classic book that year about the four wheel drive. So if you missed that segment, I don't know how you would because um, should have started at the top of the show. But just in case you started in the middle of the show with Camden's interview and missed my opening segment, go back because the. It was interesting to to read through that about um, the four wheel drive controversy in '76. It's a great article John Hill wrote, but yeah, that um, those cars were those cars are just beautiful. But then uh, Don had um, Don had a couple, at least one. I think he had two um, toward the end of his career um, that were radical offsets. I think I think he actually had two different ones at like one year and then another one the next or whatever. But because he came and ran a couple of classics and they and, and he went back to his number thirty and the modified that he had that was the the Nelson Powell built modified with the louvers in the back. I don't know what kind of body it was. Maybe it was a Vega. I don't know. I lost track of what the car makes were back then. But oh, that car too. Jim Cheney drove that. That was number thirty. Jimmy drove it a couple times, but Don ran it and actually did pretty well. And he had a gremlin modified, I think back in like 74 or 75 that he raced to the 200. And I think he finished really well in that. So Don, Don's another one that could lay claim to the 30, I guess. The flying Scotsman, <laughs> big daddy. Um, I, he's one that I wish I had. Um, I never, I, I'm sure I got his autograph a time or two at least, but I don't remember ever really having much conversation with him. Probably I'm guessing that he would have really kind of been intimidating <laughs> to me back then because he was just such a big guy, you know. And I do remember hearing some stories even back then about, you know, uh, stuff that went on in New England. I don't know that he was a real fan favorite there. Um, at least for some years, but, um, <laughs> but, um, he was a, he was a really good racer. I mean, he could, he could drive anything, but boy, he was a big guy like that. Number one car 
like that's, you know, Andrew Shartner coined a phrase that I use all the time now just because it, he used it enough that it started coming to me when I needed to recall a a, a perfect, you know, metaphor, whatever you call it. But, um, you know, it's like trying to stuff a marshmallow into a piggy bank. That's a Shartnerism. And um, that fits perfectly with Don McLaren trying to get into that one car back in the mid seventies. You look at it and, it and it's like, you know, his arms are almost um, sort of at a, at a, at an angle trying to, to on the wheel of the thing. Cause he, like I said, very, uh, the cockpit was a little narrow for his frame, right? <laughs> um, Jim Cheney looked much more sort of size appropriate in that thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, so there's, I, I don't know, like, I feel like I'm missing a couple thirties somewhere. Like maybe somebody, um, geez, I'm sure there had to have been more than that, but it's, I just, I don't recall too many, um, too many number thirties, but, um, and again, if there were any before 73 have at it. Because sometimes I remember stuff and sometimes I don't just from looking at programs. But obviously I wouldn't have witnessed it. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's what's in the number. We'll get to 31 on the next show. We're almost there. We, we have 31, 32, 33, 34, and 35. So we have five more shows of what's in the number. And then uh, that segment will be officially retired. Um, but it's just fun. It's, it's fun to, to throw it out there. And I don't mind if I miss obvious ones, it doesn't matter. I'm just, you know, it, it really was designed, like I said, to start conversation in the chat and just get people to think about, you know, about history, you know, did I miss one? Who was it? And it's been fun because whether it's Larry or Robert Metcalf or whoever, um, I think Danny K jumped in on one of them. Uh, not too long ago, like it's fun to just, you know, to, to go back, recall that. And, um, you know, and, and sometimes it brings up little, little moments that, you know, actually are pretty cool, you know, whether it's a one-off appearance or, or whatever it might be. So, um, 31 will be coming up on the next show. So, we will wind this show down. I know that the 350 Supers are running uh, as over the weekend up in New England. I think it's at, uh, what is it, Oktoberfest at Lee. Camden Proud will be on hand there, and we will bring Camden on next week to talk about it. Um, so uh, we've got uh, several drivers still that, that we're it's just trying to schedule it. You know, it's really scheduling at this point. But we're going to have, we, I've got a list of six or seven. So um, we are definitely going to, uh, to be busy this fall and winter with, with, with drivers for sure for, for a good while. Um, actually, the list would be more than six or seven if I count big blocks and the other divisions. We've got more than that that, are, that are, have committed. We, again, just trying to get them, get them scheduled. Jeff Battle will be one of the ones, probably maybe the next one that we, uh, that we bring on. Um, we're trying, we've been trying to get Jeff for a while. Um, so we'll, you know, that may be next week or the following week. Um, you know, but we've got a mix drivers from each of the divisions that, uh, 
we'll just be getting to as we can here, but that's good because uh, that keeps us busy again, right? Um, you know, right into the fall and winter. And so, and some big, big drivers, big names, and it's always fun to get first timers on, but it's as much fun to get the legends on and, and do that sort of thing. So uh, good mix coming up. And uh, thank you all for joining me for another Inside Groove. Thanks again to our sponsors. Go check out all of their websites. Um, don't think JNS Paving. I'm trying to think. Do they have one or not? Um, should know that by now. <laughs> but I know they have a Facebook page. Um, IPCindy.com, LaGroffsPub.com, and, of course, WiggityWayneSauces.com. Go check them all out and uh, support those who support racing. Until next time, have a safe racing weekend, everybody. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening. So long until the next Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.